You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This is Father James Shaw, and I want to continue with our reading of uh, The Limits of Political Philosophy. We did the commentaries on the beginning and the introduction. I would now like to continue to the first part. <clears throat> we will uh, read the first uh, half of chapter one. So chapter one will be in two parts. The first section, the first part of the book is called The Context of Brilliant Errors. And you recall the term brilliant errors came from Leo Strauss, who said that when political philosophy is not a pursuit of truth, it ends up to being merely a uh, analysis of more or less brilliant errors. <clears throat> so we want to begin our discussion of the limits of political philosophy with precisely those things which are uh, not at the center, but are explanations of political philosophy that in some sense are defective. The first chapter is entitled The Intellectual Horizons of Political Philosophy. And I'll begin with this quotation from Samuel Johnson. Indeed, this book, every chapter will begin with a citation from Samuel Johnson. And this comes from April the 18th, 1778. And Johnson said the following, or I said Johnson, uh, this is from Boswell. Johnson arraigned the modern politics of this country as entirely devoid of principle of whatever kind. Politics, he said, are now nothing more than means of rising in the world. With this sole view, uh, do men engaged in politics, and their whole conduct proceeds upon it. The end of the quote. So the concentration of politics as the end of everything. So we begin with the consideration of the character of political philosophy. This book is addressed without apology to Plato's political philosophers, to contemporary students of whatever age or level who are awakening in their very souls to the call of higher things. By perplexity over the things that are, by a passionate desire to know how things really exist, by searching for guidance to questions that are not often or fully broached in the university or in think tanks or media or even in life itself, such students become alive to what they have not yet encountered or been able to explain. What is lacking to perceptive students is a philosophical account of the um, meaning of what the experience of politics implies and how this experience relates to their 
particular lives, more especially to their understanding of what is. Political philosophy is an original discipline. It requires, as I have suggested, the experience of having read the classical authors and to assist in explaining the central problems of political living. But political philosophy is designed to sort out the relevant principles and criteria by which one can arrive at a judgment about the meaning and truth of the issues that are in and beyond political living. Good students in modern universities are often at first perplexed and astonished by teachings that claim to be true, or even more fundamentally by ones that claim that truth might be possible and worth uh, pursuing a minority opinion. But they soon become rather frightened and discouraged by these often uh, dominant academic doctrines that maintain in practice that no truth is to be had. Alan Bloom's description of the philosophical presupposition of an average student that any professor might uh, encounter uh, before him in the best universities seems mostly uh, accurate. Quote, there is one thing a professor can be absolutely certain of. Almost every student entering the university believes or says he believes that truth is relative. The end of the quote. However, no life or discipline, paradoxically even relativism, is worth pursuing if it does not have at least a claim to be true. Truth in practical matters, in politics, in things to be done, is a conformity of what we actually do with what we ought to do, and to recall Aristotle's doctrine. We are the beings who ought to do some things or for which we are praised or blamed. Our very lives require of us, elicit from us, activities that complete and define what we are. We are beings who are not complete without our own free effort. The kind of beings we are from nature presupposes that we know our relative place in the universe, in the relation of things to each other. Some actions uh, we do perform are better than others, which is why there is praise or blame for them. Aristotle rightly maintained that only those actions that are worthy of praise or um, deserve blame, actions rooted in choices that could always have been otherwise, only these are the proper subject matter of human ethical and political philosophy. A knowledge of what is uh, proper to ourselves 
leads to a uh, consideration of what is meant by philosophy or by knowledge of the whole. We are the beings for whom a knowledge of the whole of philosophy, in other words, constitutes the essential uniqueness of our being, even though we do not ourselves constitute this whole. We are receivers of what is highest in us, of the word that is not from us. We identify all that is not us. Let's say we, we know that these things are not ourselves. This human condition implies a certain essential limitation in mankind. The acceptance or rejection of this limitation constitutes the deepest moral orientation we take to the world, to ourselves, and to what lies beyond our kind. Behind every human action exists a reference to how that human being who initiated uh, the particular action by his choice stands to the world in its essential givenness. We are parts of the whole who seek to know the whole, whose intellects are kapax omnium, capable of knowing all things without ceasing to be finite, without ceasing to be ourselves. Many beings and activities in the cosmos exist that are not caused by human beings. Indeed, the cosmos itself, though not unrelated to the human mind, is not caused by it, does not exist because of it. Against the uh, background of these non-human beings and activities, human beings put forth uh, particular actions that come only from their own inner choice and causality. Human activities, those actions that could and would not exist without the existence of human beings as composites of body and soul, are the subject matter of political philosophy. This subject matter does not mean that there are no human activities that are more uh, than political or ethical. Aristotle had said that our highest activity, rational contemplation, was divine. But the argument does not deny that even these highest activities in us must pass through the ethical and political, through the, the wholeness uh, uh, which includes man's uh, material and spiritual elements. Political philosophy, in contrast to political science, uh, strives to understand this relationship between what has been traditionally called thought and action. The wholeness of the political being corresponds to the intricate wholeness of reality itself, 
to which man is open by his powers of action and thought. We then continue to the next section, which is called Political Philosophy and the Givenness of Man. Political philosophy does not begin without the experience of politics. Politics does not begin without the experience of human life in all its classic stages, from conception to birth to growing up to maturity, old age, and death. Man does not make man to be man, Aristotle remarked in a famous passage, but taking him from nature as already man makes him to be good man. We are already what it is to be human from nature, from our existing in this world. No human being has ever caused either himself or the world of mankind to be what it is to be a human being. That is to say that we do not make what it is to be a human being. We simply are that from nature. Each human being is already a certain kind of being, different from other beings in the universe. To be a human being means a given a fruitful uh, mystery that is part of his reality, part of the reality of every human life that has appeared on this planet. Every human life that has actually come uh, into being is included in the proper subject matter of political philosophy. The fate of the whole order of mankind is at least initially derived from a question that politics uh, presents to political philosophy. <clears throat> this question asks whether there is a common good and goal that includes the actual human beings, each one of them, that have ever been uh, specifically human with an existence, however brief, in this world. The, this consideration arose in political uh, history from considerations deriving uh, from Revelation, of which St. Augustine's City of God is the primary source. Yet the question is uh, rooted in Plato, in the last myth of the Republic, which asked about the possibility of our ever properly reordering our lives uh, for the uh, good uh, or reordering our lives for the good in some other life if we do not do so in this one. The drama of each human life is infinitely uh, uh, enhanced by the truth of this teaching of Plato that we would not, uh, in fact, um, redeem ourselves if we were given another um, chance to try again in some other life. That is, say, we would choose the same mistakes again, he thought. The myth of Ur in the Republic and the story of uh, Lazarus asking to return from the dead uh, to uh, warn his brothers 
uh, in the New Testament both attest to the same principle, that of the importance of the actual life that we are given. We can reject or overcome uh, this human form of uh, condition as it is given in the universe as something itself to be transcended as an object hateful or unintelligible to, to our being. Certain modern philosophers and uh, scientists have sought to alter the human form or the human body itself. Many others have sought to free it from any uh, grounding in a will other than man's own. But we will only attempt this transformation either if we suppose that no certain authority uh, in man exists from nature, or if we uh, deliberately rebel against what we are. The fact that we are that we have uh, existed as already man, as already human, from a source that is not itself of human making, is in some sense, in some theories, considered not to be a binding on us. Modern philosophical rebellion, in its most overt as well as its most subtle form, has as its theoretic background a resentment or rejection of the kind of being that man has been originally given uh, from outside his own making, uh, his own being. We discuss this more further in chapter 3 as we come along. Political philosophy cannot avoid dealing with the question of whether it is all right to be a human being in the first place, of whether it is our duty and our dignity to remain human beings, even if we could and we can uh, propose something else and carry the proposal into reality. The theoretic background, this theoretic background raises these questions. Does man's givenness as man in itself merely designate something feasible uh, because what is is possible, but not normative because what is has no purpose, or more seriously, does this givenness of uh, the very structure of man's being indicate a prior intelligence addressed to man's own mind through his own being what he is? Or is man merely some sort of cosmic accident or even joke. If what man is derives from some uh, intelligence benevolent to him, we cannot deny the force of Descartes' worry about an uh, alternative diabolical intelligence uh, that might deceive us. Then this givenness is itself intended uh, as a guide for what must be called the fullness of human living. 
political philosophy inquires into the relation of politics to this fullness that signal signals man's own highest being and end. This human fullness or completeness, which is not apart from man's own choice, is not exclusively of his own making. Included in political philosophy is an understanding of alternatives, the brilliant errors that begin uh, the remaking of man by rebelling against his givenness. And the third part is on the difference between political science and political philosophy. This book is a treatise of political philosophy, not political science. In the order of time, the latter precedes, precedes the former, as the family precedes both. But in the order of dignity, political philosophy is the culmination of political science and the path to philosophy itself. Political science describes our lives in actual cities and guides actions and policies to achieve what men have chosen in common according to the ends of their actions. Political science seeks to understand and classify the regularities and norms of rule and citizenship that are found in existing but differing regimes. It assists us in achieving the ends of politics. Political science even describes the ends of disordered politics, as Aristotle explained in his own book on the politics. Political philosophy rise, arises because of the questions that occur in actual cities, just as philosophy arises out of the questions that remain perplexing in uh, uh, political philosophy. Revelation itself uh, seems to arise, or at least uh, seems to be given, when questions of philosophy receive no final or definitive solution in politics or philosophy. The intellectual treatment of what exists in reality does not have strict uh, boundaries, even though there are differing kinds of considerations whose subject matter and definition are not arbitrarily uh, uh, drawn. A scientific method, to repeat, can only yield the results the method allows. It cannot eliminate answers that are products of other methods or perhaps by reality itself prior to all methods. The accurate description of our civil society in terms of its worth, of its conception of good and bad in human action as embodied in law and custom is one of the most dangerous and difficult of human enterprises. 
most men, most of the time, are reluctant to hear what it is they are really like, what it is they stand for, what their city in practice, not just in speech, uh, defines as its good. Polities are even more unlikely uh, than individual human beings uh, to listen to their own disorder accurately described. The danger of, the, of this accurate description is what lies behind the drama of the death of Socrates in Athens. From this uh, aspect, the freedom of philosophy means that the precise description of polities and of individual lives within them must have a legitimate place in which to argue the meaning of the diversities of regimes uh, without having this argument lead to the destruction either of the regime or of the philosopher. <clears throat> this consideration suggests that the resolution of these highest questions uh, may not lie in the city itself. The completeness of the city is therefore limited, but its worth and its necessity are not denied. The study of uh, particular forms of regimes, their laws and uh, uh, processes of rule, political science, uh, in other words, is a legitimate intellectual enterprise with a definite subject matter. Minute investigation into actual regimes uh, do not uh, reach to those ultimate questions that each and every existing regime touches upon because human life itself extends beyond uh, political life uh, without denying its importance. <clears throat> All tyrannical regimes want to conceive themselves as worthy and beneficial to their citizens, or at least they would argue, as Thrasymachus did in the Republic, that everyone would be a tyrant if he could. This claim is right uh, to right or service is why all regimes uh, in the modern world call themselves democracies. Almost the only word we have left for a good regime. The understanding of what it is to be a tyrant is not only an essential exercise of political science, but more deeply, it is an essential exercise of political philosophy. Political philosophy uh, penetrates to the roots of human freedom and the nature of deviation from the good possible to human beings living in cities. In the lives of a good percentage of the human race in most eras, eras are lived under tyr tyrannical or less than perfect regimes. Uh, uh, as they are, uh, the question of the worth and meaning of, the, of these often 
uh, in human forms, uh, wretched uh, lives cannot be avoided. So if the fact is that many people live in wretched regimes, so the meaning of these lives, even in wretched regimes, uh, needs to be out. If human dignity is not resolved at some level, uh, that is not uh, political. Uh, most of these lives have been lived in vain, except perhaps for an example uh, that does not uh, personally affect them. So, if if the meaning don't have if the lives don't have some other meaning, then it means that they are insignificant. They have lived in vain. Uh, although it could be an example uh, that does not affect somebody, does not affect them. So that is the first end of the first part of this uh, first chapter. I will continue in the next section uh, with a section which is called The Open-Endedness of Political Philosophy in a bit in the next section. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.